Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Today, I'm going to admit it, I'm a little nervous because I'm interviewing, among other things, a radio host, the radio host of Mindful Miami, Suzanne Jewell. She is part of Joel Radio, but that's just a little tiny part of what she does. She's an author, a speaker, also a mindful teacher. She's a self-motivated coach, uh, mindful business advisor. She has a mix of global corporate strategic communications and marketing expertise from the U.S. to Africa. As a business coach and startup strategist, she works directly with startup founders, solopreneurs, and nonprofits to clarify the core mission, strategy, and messaging of their vision. She's deeply intuitive, understanding that the inner life of both the business and the founder must be addressed in order to harness the power of manifesting a successful revenue-producing offer to the world. She's a deep listener, I can attest for that, and she has participated in very successful projects. She was part of the first World Happiness Summit. Um, she has uh, advised uh, the Gates Foundation, the city of Miami Beach, uh, Smart Tech Port, which is where I had the pleasure to meet her, and many others. She has interviewed in her program people from the likes of Elizabeth Gilbert, which I'm jealous of, and, and I always tell her, and uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, and, and many others. So with that, I know I'm, I'm, I mean, if I read your bio complete, Suzanne, we're never going to get through it. So I just first want to say thank you for being here. I'm honored. And, and I'm actually, I'm sure this is a good thing. It's not TV because I'm actually blushing right now. So thank you for how just graciously you've invited and welcomed me, Letitia. It means the world to me to be here and to support what you're bringing out into the world, which is part of your magic and your light. Well, you're part of that magic, Suzanne, because we met uh, a year and a half ago. And I have to say, I was blown away by your brilliancy, by your insightfulness, and just your vision of things. One of the of the aspects of yourself that I didn't share is you're a storyteller. You really can take anything and create this amazing story and brand around not only a business project, but also of yourself. So I think when we met, you enlightened in me something about doing that more. And, and the, this podcast initiative, I, I see it as a direct result of that. So thank you. Oh, what an honor for you to say that. Yeah, thank you. That just touches my heart. Wow. Nothing but the truth. And then one thing I didn't share, I mean, your talk show reaches over 200,000 people and it, sh it focuses on mindfulness and how can mindfulness impact humanity. I mean, that's just uh, so deep and so rich that I think we can have a three-hour show today. 
<laughs> and and thank you for for one being a fan and tuning in and really seeing how we are capturing on Mindful Mornings Miami this talk of what does it mean to live, work, create, and play in a mindful way? Because it's become such a buzzword, and we're also in a world that seems to be so busy, and we're so full of business and the things that are really triggering us and, and capturing our attention. I actually believe we live in a time that I call the attention economy, where no matter what it is we turn toward, everyone's vying to catch our attention. And yet we often don't know what are we paying attention to? And we're being driven to distraction by distraction. So I think it's just one of those ideal moments where I literally was in the right place in the right time. I got pinged on LinkedIn uh, in the middle of the night to come into the show, uh, the radio station, actually Jolt Radio. And, um, and they said, could you please do a mindfulness meditation for a show we're doing around conscious entrepreneurship instead of a, a music break? And the show then afterward was offered to me to do Mindful Mornings Miami. And it was because I listened to a ping on LinkedIn at 1.20 in the morning. Isn't so that amazing? Know, how that happens, you know, God knows. I don't know how that order happens. Well, that's how things happen. And by the way, we're going to be sharing all your links for the shows uh, on, our, on our show notes today. So you, everybody that's listening to this, definitely check it out. She has a live session while she... Uh, records the show and, and it's really amazing to watch and to hear so having said that as you know our show or my show here it's about reconnecting to oneself and I think a lot of what you speak and if if you read some of the articles that you've written uh, you talk a lot about branding and how that intrinsic story uh, needs to be built and if we see each other as a brand, you know, each person has a story to tell. And uh, I know that your stories, it's uh, about family and about being more connected. So it's a great place to start because I always start my interview asking, who were you as a little kid? What did you like to do? What were the things that early on were already manifesting in your life and that you recognize they have uh, being pivotal in remaining true to your essence. So I appreciate, first of all, that you are asking such really important and deep questions to people who are showing up in the in the world in the way they are. You know, like 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 your mentor Seth Godin. You know, how are people having having this kind of uh, thoughtful and mindful way of showing up? I was Letitia as a little kid, um, precocious. I was um, very, very committed to learning. I literally started asking my elementary school teachers for homework. Okay. Uh, I <laughs> I've never really, heard that before. I but. was a geek. I literally was a geek. I literally would say, please give me more. Give me more. During the summers when I grew up, and I grew up in a small town in the Midwest, a place called Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, where my dad was mayor. It's kind of a smaller size town, and I'm the last of five. Um, in the summer, there was a program called RIF, Reading is Fun, and they used to send a little, like almost a mobile home or a motor home around neighborhoods that were full of books. And you could go into this during the summertime, and you could literally pick out books, and they give you a little punch card. Clearly, this was not the digital age. Um, and I had a punch card that looked like a piece of Swiss cheese because I had so many books I had checked out every single summer. Wow. 
Um, the other thing that I really thought about, because when you shared with me the background of, you know, what to discuss today and kind of the nature of what some of the questions were, I really realized something by your question, which was when I was in sixth grade, I actually got pulled out of the school system that I was in up until then because I was considered to be what they would call gifted, I guess. My parents didn't know what to do with me. I had just uh, a big brain was the word. They called me. Susie's got a big brain. She's a brainiac. (laughs) They put me in this special school that was both self-paced and it was co-located at a nature center that was alongside our zoo. And so I ended up, and it's something I still practice today. It's a big part of my life today. I ended up at 11 years old every single day in sixth grade. Think Michigan. Think September, January, February, March. We had to go outside and create what was called a magic spot. We had to go there every day for 45 minutes. Okay. We brought a journal with us. It's the first time in my life I had to do things like we were required to look at, were there leaves falling? Were there rabbits in the environment? What was going on around you? You had to also write about your feelings. It literally, now when I look back on it, when you brought me this question, I thought, gosh, this is where mindfulness started for me. They just didn't have a word for it. Yeah, it does sound like that way. Absolutely. Because I, I, I literally would sit there and we, we, we learned to have a camera. So we had to observe what was going on around us. We had to learn how to write about what was going on inside of us. Um, And it just brought me back this question to say, gosh, I never saw the connection there until you asked me that. And I loved in that environment, uh, that inner exploration. And I also loved being in nature. It was really impactful for me. Well, I guess that's a double whammy because down the road, I was going to ask, where do you think (laughs) mindfulness (laughs) started? Because, you know, it's one of those things that as you talk to people, and I consider myself a a searcher also, like I, I know about mindfulness, but really the first time I heard about it was when I met you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I had never heard something like chief mindfulness officer, you know, <laughs> and you start hearing these new terms. And as we work in, in the Smart City Project, we also came up with chief innovation of it. You start seeing these titles that uh, we are not familiar with. But with mindfulness, it's like I know I want to search deeper and dig deeper, but I never... Uh, knew where to go to start besides, you know, the typical, okay, let me go to a yoga class. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know, but to get there from a traditional yoga class is really hard, I, I, at least yep. in my experience. Yes. Well, and, and, and I would share with you that this process, um, and I don't want to jump out of order of, of your questions here, but, you know, part of what did happen to me in my life journey then did end up being, and it's one of the things that you ask on later, a traumatic experience. And that traumatic experience kind of Um, I would say brought me to my knees, which would be sort of the Christian way to talk about it. But in this case, I ended up putting my butt on a meditation cushion and fell apart and went through what would be considered a dark night of the soul experience. And it was mindfulness that helped me, which in five, five little kind of statements, I can say, what is it? It's about how to pay attention on purpose in the moment, non-judgmentally and with curiosity. And even if all you end up doing as someone who begins to practice it is learn to do one of those things, because like, oh my gosh, to show up in the world non-judgmentally, whew, 
we're built and wired to be judgmental. Yeah, that is a tough Right, left, yeah. black, white. That's a tough one. I'm Italian. I have struggled with that one. That's <laughs> hard. And, 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 you know, so it's like, okay, well, let me, let me just pay attention. Okay, where am I? Where, what am I feeling? What am I sitting on? What is my experience in the body? What I also think is really curious about the concept of mindfulness is that the word itself makes it sound like it's only about the head. And when I had my particular um, kind of breakdown experience that I shared, um, I really find mindfulness to be this fascinating experience of actually learning how to reside in my body because mindfulness helps you become very connected to, okay, someone just said something or I just watched a piece of the news and I'm getting that hot feeling in my chest or I can feel that knot in my stomach. Mindfulness helps you learn how to literally be aware of the body as a radar dish of your experience, learn to be with it, especially if it's particularly powerful like rage or anger or grief, and then also how to offer yourself nourishment and some presence and some compassion because we do have 500 emotions as humans. And the one thing no one hands us when we are born into this world in this body besides spanking us on the butt to breathe for the first time no one gives us an instruction manual that says being human 101. Yep. And we literally are expected to figure it out on the fly. And I think that my journey to this process of realizing that mindfulness can literally be, I just wrote an article with someone um, this morning around the Miami Climate Alliance around even this topic of climate resilience and sustainability. And I, I it's a gentleman who's running for commissioner. I challenged him straight out. I said, all you're talking about are the material aspects of the physical ground zero that South Florida lives in, our rising um, seas, our, our, our roads that we're elevating. You are not talking about the number one thing that needs to be able to make it through this challenge, which is the human that has to be given tools for resilience to make it through the tide that is rising. So if all we do is rise our roads and not rise our minds, raise the level of our roads and not raise the level of our minds, we're going to be more stressed out even if we come up with the solution because the earth we stand upon is shifting. Mindfulness helps us find a way to be present to the constant presence of change. Yeah, that's so powerful. And, and, and in all the readings I did about you, also you, you say mindfulness help us be more human. And I think this story just, you just told is an example of that. We forget about being human in the whole process that we get caught up. And then it's just really what this podcast is about is like going back to basics. We are human. We'll go back to the, the beginning of things and try to connect. Yes. Right. And, 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 and that's and, so and connect with ourself. I think I, I, one of the, one of my favorite, favorite little, um, quotes, and I don't have it quite committed to memory. So I literally threw it up on my screen to share it with you is by a, a lovely spiritual, um, gentleman that I follow. He's a, a, a Catholic he's passed now, but he's a, he was a, a Franciscan monk. Thomas Merton is, is his name. And he says, what can we gain by sailing to the moon? if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves. This is the most important of all voyages of discovery, and without it, the rest are not only useless, but disastrous. Wow, you see, I, that's why I say you should host this podcast instead of me. <laughs> no, 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 because you just brought... I love it, I love it. And, you know, this is where I sit, and this is where I become like this 
I guess almost rebellious because you and I uh, met in this this realm, Letitia, of both of us being strong businesswomen and trying to make a difference in the world into the new world that's becoming. And I will sit here and say to you, for example, I'm unimpressed by Elon Musk's uh, slapping a red convertible onto a um, rocket and sending it into space because that is the least personally challenging action to take, the true unexplored frontier that we still have is inside of ourselves. There's even this lovely, and you said it already that I tell stories to tell a point, there's this lovely story, and I do not know who to attribute it to, but it's kind of floating around amongst ministers and spiritual teachers, and it is this, and it says, God was having a conversation before the seventh day and said to some of the creatures, gee, you know, I'm thinking, where do I put myself in this thing that I've just created? And he said to the turtle, maybe I'll put it deep down in the mud in the earth where you are. And the turtle looked at him and said, no, 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 no. Man will go there. Man will absolutely go there. And he looked at one of these beautiful, huge, immense whales that he created that swims the depths of the ocean all the way down to the 30,000 feet of the Mariana Trench. And he said, how about if I put it down there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my essence, who I am, in the depth of the ocean. And he said, no, they're going to make it there. He said, don't do that. And all of a sudden, God had an epiphany and looked at these two creatures and said, you know what? I figured it out. I'm going to put myself inside of man. That'll be the last place they look. Oh, wow. So I'm literally, I think, talking about it in a way that maybe sounds less woo than most people talk about it, but I am talking about it from the standpoint of I think mindfulness is the door to the last frontier of us being pioneers. You know, I was a big geek when you asked these questions about what impacted me as a little girl. I had so many flashbacks in your, your querying, which is makes you a great journalist, by the way, a great interviewer. Those are such good questions. And I remembered one of the big geeky things I did was have my parents constantly subscribe to the National Geographic magazine hmm. because I was just called to looking at the pictures and the places and, and, you know, the exotic. And I even remember bargaining with my parents at one point to please. And mind you, when I say I was the last of five, there was 11 years of age difference between me and my closest siblings. So this was a almost lonely or only child experience I grew up when I w was going to share with you the bargain I made with my parents, which was, would you please send, spend the money to buy a, uh, an Encyclopedia Britannica set for our house? <laughs> I'm sure not many I, kids have that. I know. And it was like, okay, between National Geographic and, and, and the, the Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, I was happy. I literally, you'd find me surrounded by those magazines and I'd put notes in them and I'd go do a book report on them or I'd go learn more about them. And now, interestingly enough, knock on wood, I have no idea how this is going to unfold. But to that end, I have befriended on LinkedIn, like you are pursuing, you know, your dreams of who to have conversations with. Um, I befriended or she, I, I made comments, actually followed one of her articles because she's got a new book out and now have befriended her, and she's considering showing up on my uh, radio show, Jean Case, who is the CEO, the chairman of the National Geographic Society, chairwoman, I should say. She's the CEO of the Case Foundation. Her husband is Steve Case, who created AOL. Mm -hmm. And they fund 
um, innovative, disruptive, um, non-normal ventures. And when I wrote to her after I was looking at her new book that's out called Be Fearless, uh, and, and this whole issue about, about uh, breaking through anything that holds you back and, and choosing to live a life of fearlessness, I said to her exactly part of this conversation, I said, I believe mindfulness to be the inner journey of the spiritual pioneers, not unlike National Geographic taught me about when I watched people be the pioneers to go to countries or science endeavors. And I said, this is what I believe mindfulness is because there is so much we have yet to learn about the richness of the human experience and embodied in that. The Dalai Lama alone recently, I think it's been maybe five years, for the first time in human history, has commissioned an atlas of human emotions. Wow. You think about the fact that we didn't even have a map, whether it was Christopher Columbus or Amerigo Vespucci or Leif Erikson, whoever came from wherever they came from, or whether it was the, the Neolithic people who crossed the Bering Straits thousands of years before them, they didn't have maps, but they journeyed forward anyway. And then we created maps. This endeavor that he's created and funded is to look at this thing called the human experience. And they're finding that we have five basic emotions with a kind of um, larger subset or network. They literally look like a, a visual of what, what connecting on the internet looks like. 500 emotions that spawn off of those original core emotions. Here we are all experiencing them every day, and no one, unless you're lucky enough to be maybe a middle or um, elementary school student right now learning social and emotional intelligence, no one's really taught us about what that means. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the emotion side of things is definitely underdeveloped in in our generations and, and but I think there's an awakening and having these discussions with you and with other people is definitely encouraging and and you hear it more and you see more books about it and I think also social media is helping reignite that search uh, for who we are and uh, you said something interesting and I, and I think in terms of uh, of helping whomever is listening to this it's about uh, well, you said about, you mentioned curiosity, which you showcase very early on, and, and anybody that knows you can see how that has uh, uh, impregnated your entire life. But what about fear? You said, you mentioned about the book Living Fearless, and I think fear is really what paralyzes people, and that resistance to the new, resistance to to jump and do what you feel like doing. Um, maybe you can share a moment in your time in your life where you felt that fear and you overcame it. And also, what advice would you give to people that you know are fearing something, but you, you would just want to say, push forward, keep moving mm -hmm. forward, and go for it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I recognize something about myself, and again, I'm going to use a story to tell how it worked for me because I realized it. And gosh, Letitia, you were there when my father died. I mean, you and I sat at that table at Michael's and I got the phone call and this is related to my dad's death, which was November uh, 30th of 2017. Yes. Um, and, and shortly, as you also knew, after I'd just gotten out of the hospital for five days, finding out about the doggone unruptured aneurysm and bilateral dissections in my carotid arteries. So talk about facing your fear, which was holy, you know what, I might die. 
Yeah. You know, here I am. Okay. And thank God I had a mindfulness practice. Thank God I have God in my life. Those two uh, things. It's like my faith is really um, what holds my soul and mindfulness and the practices of being in the body are what helped me not lose my mind. So it was, let me do my deep breathing. You know, let me, let me be aware of the fact that this is very frightening. This is very scary. And then also realizing this deep awareness that, you know what? I know one thing if I know anything, which is that there is a presence that is never an absence. I have always been held by that presence. Even when I have been in those moments of great deep fear, even when I watched my mother only four years prior to that experience take her last breath, um, which was when I started to really have some of my, I, I'm going to say I probably had what was the equivalent of an undiagnosed nervous breakdown because I had a lot of anxiety to the level of being diagnosed with PTSD. I had overabundance of what is called cortisol in my uh, body, and it can create panic attacks, which then include um, uh, higher heart rate. It also then impacts your capacity to think. And, and I learned all of that by doing one really important thing. And it may sound like the most counterintuitive thing to do with fear. And it is a mindfulness practice, which is to sit and turn toward that which frightens you. It is the, I'd call it monk warrior way of overcoming your inner demons or battles. Um, one of the practices itself is and the reason mindfulness-based stress reduction, the one that the, the way it was taught by John Kabat-Zinn now almost 40 years ago up at Harvard, one of the reasons he took it out of Buddhist philosophy and psychology into a clinical setting was for people who had terminal cancer and they were facing their death. Couldn't be probably a more frightening thing that unites us all and that we also live in denial of every single day. And it teaches you to turn toward that to see whether or not you do have a space or a spaciousness within you that is that presence. In my case, I call it the presence that's never an absence. God, many different names. Um, I realized I was held by that. I realized that I also was here and recognized something that nothing is as it appears, that I was meant to flip the script and find the good and see it right, which was that the experiences and the journey I was going through on the physical and the mental uh, level were meant for me to, as that warrior, strengthen my inner fortitude. Um, and, and the reason I feel I had the guts to do it is tied to a story that has to do with my dad. And I spoke about this as I stood at his um, funeral and gave a celebration to his life. And it is this. When I was young, my dad taught me at eight years old how to ride a little 50 Honda CC motorcycle in the field behind the church I grew up in. And if I fell over, he was there, but he made me get my bike back up and pick it up out of the sand and kick start it again. And if I couldn't, he'd start it. And when I turned 10, he let me graduate and we put that motorcycle and he bought an extra one for one of my girlfriends to take it to the Manistee National Forest in northern Michigan, which was a big, beautiful, protected 
a forest of pines and, you know, oaks and maples. And there were a lot of electric lines that were kind of gravel cut roads through that forest. And once my friend and I sort of proved to my mom and dad that we were pretty capable of riding these little 50 cc's, they would let us go off in the woods. And when we did it, my dad, I would look at him and I'd say to him, dad, what happens if we run into a stream? And he'd say, well, Suze, we'll try to cross it. Hmm. And I'd say, but dad, what if we runs into, we run into a sand dune? Cause we were right on the side of Lake Michigan. So there were, you know, huge sand dunes. There's one sand dune there called sleeping bear. That's 800 feet high. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, well, we'll try to climb it. And if we can't, we'll go around it. And then I just like, you know, got really big eyes as a saucer. Cause I'd seen this with him when we were out riding. I said, dad, what if we see a bear? He said, we will definitely turn around. <laughs> and then I asked him the last question, which is always the why question of a child. You know, why is the sky blue? This was my question. Dad, why are we doing this? Why do we ride these trails? You know, why do we do this? And he looked at me and he said, Susie, because we have to go see what there is to see. Mm, that's... And Letitia, I spoke this in front of my siblings and all of them had a light bulb. I looked at them because I was at the pulpit of this church and they were looking at me and my dad's casket was between us. And they looked at me like, oh my God, dad did teach us that, didn't he? And I looked at them and I said to them and I said to myself, that's the reason I had the guts at 18 years old when I had a Spanish teacher because teachers were always influential in my life, who said, you have una facilidad para el idioma, you have a faculty, a facility for this language, you need to go live it, not just study it. And this guy set me up with a family and an address on a piece of paper, and I left the United States, I left Grand Rapids, Michigan from a plane in Detroit, I went first to see a boyfriend in Germany, and then went to Spain, and no one in my family had ever traveled to Europe. No one had ever gone that far. And I realized I did it because my dad gave me the courage as a young woman to be in the woods alone and to know I could go see what there was to see and that there somewhere in there was always a presence that had my back. So that's my way of saying, how do you turn toward it and and push through um, Go see what there is to see. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's amazing wisdom, and and I think as I hear this story, um, which I have heard, but every time you tell it, this is just more beautiful. Uh, the importance of family. Many of the guests I've had in uh, in the show so far, when you hear about what has been or what has made the difference in their lives. It's uh, usually what they say is family and the family they had and the parents. And it's such an important role. And hearing you talking about your dad and and I was there for whatever reason. I was going to mention it, but I'm glad you did first the day you got that call. And I knew how important your, your father was to you and your mom. We didn't know each other then. But, you know, to see you get the call that you were dreading and and how you handle it is the worst news one can get and we had just sat down to do lunch and and i'm a witness to to what you're saying in terms of mindfulness and how you were obviously shaken and and destroyed by the news but how you handled the whole situation was uh amazing to watch and to see and uh and to know that you carry on the message and the wisdom because your dad i didn't meet him but for everything I've heard, he sounds 
like an amazing, um, amazing person. I mean, you don't get to be mayor of your town and so loved. And I know when he passed away, uh, they really, you know, were a lot of uh, um, uh, shows of affection towards him. And, uh, and that now you're passing that, that wisdom to everybody that listens here and to your show. It's like, go and see. And this yeah. is the purpose of this show too. Go and see. Don't get stuck in what you're doing. Don't settle for just being an automatic pilot. Just go and see what you need to see because you don't want to regret it in the future saying, if only I had done this, if only I had yeah. done that. That to me, personally, that's my biggest fear. Um, I started, and I think I mentioned in a different show, but I started to learn the piano at 30. And people were making fun because they say, you know, you don't learn the piano at 30. You learn it at five or six. Mm. After six years, I realized they were right because to get really good is very hard. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I said, I'm going to learn something. And if I'm lucky enough to live until I'm 70, I have more than half my life playing. And people I don't love see it, it that I way. love it. People don't see it, it that way. They, they see like it's too late to do it, but they don't see, well, you know, if you're lucky enough and you get to live more, 50 more years or 40 more years, you still can enjoy it. So why are you going to cut yourself short of what you can achieve? Well, and, you know, it's interesting because I didn't know this um, that I know now with the, the studies I've done around mindfulness that includes a lot of um, neuroscience. I, the geek is still alive in me, you know, like mm -hmm. I look at it now and it's like, oh man, if, if, if I knew then what I knew now, I probably would have gone and I would have studied the brain. And then at the same time, I have this deep love affair with God. I've got just a huge connection with, uh, the force that lives within me and that, that holds us all and the amazing ways that creation unfolds. And when you say this issue, Letitia, around, um, you know, seeing how that unfolded and, and how it's now showing up for me in my life of watching how my dad's presence and then, and then his departure, um, there was something that kind of got more convicted inside of me that as I watched that happen, I went, you know, God works in such mysterious ways, but this all happened for a reason. This happened so close to me almost checking out and then actually holding and touching his cold hand and realizing I've got to get to what I'm here for. You know, and that's the other thing around fear that I would share that it's a curious thing most people don't know that Buddhists do. Buddhists actually have a practice where they practice death. They look at the issue of, wow. I've got an expiration date. If you even become a forest monk, like a really deep practitioner, you will go and spend time watching a body actually degrade. And that may sound morbid as I'll get out, but it is one of the most amazing teachers of life because what happened for me, I believe, was there was a quickening. There was a sense of urgency. There is now this idea of, I wake up every day with that unruptured aneurysm. Thank God it was too small to do any brain surgery on. And yet I know it is my companion. My aneurysm is now my teacher to be present. Um, it is also kind of a filter about, all right, do I do this or do that? And then the question becomes, is it going to be so stressful it's going to impact my, my state of being or possibly bring on a migraine because that's kind of tied to it? And if it answers that question of, yes, it might, then it's like, okay, don't do that. So it's literally become a filter for how I remain on purpose, which is part of the 
tenets of mindfulness, that issue of pay attention on purpose in the moment, it keeps me in the moment. Um, and boy, I'll tell you, it keeps me honest because I, you know, you just can't hide when you're waking up every day with something like that. No, and I and I've seen you through the process because I was there when you were hit with this and 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 saw how much in how much pain you were and and how much you suffer from it. And now seeing you a year and a half later, it's amazing that not only the recovery but also yes, like how how truthful you're staying to those priorities and your well being. And this is something both you and I, because at the time I was dealing with the high blood pressure issues. So <laughs> here we were, we both wanted to work on this very exciting project we were doing, but we were both kind of grounded by health. Yes. And uh, it was a, yeah, a wake up call, obviously yours way more serious than mine, but uh, yeah, I guess God finds the way to make us stay true and, and on purpose, as you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I wouldn't, you know, curiously enough, I wouldn't change a thing. As, as, as insane as that was, you know, the hospital visit started on the 12th. I got out on the 17th. He passed on the 30th. Um, and you were there through that whole journey with me. We, we walked together. I would say the other reason is because as much mental study of the student I just outlined, you know, I am the geek that I, that I've been, um, there was something also that I think I, co-created or somehow at a soul level, I knew I needed, and this is true of me in business as well. I needed to have a genuine, authentic street credibility, street cred as it were, that was lived experience so that it was not just either Eckhart Tolle stuff I'd studied or, you know, Tara Brock's meditations that I'd engaged in, that it needed to be something that was literally my own journey. And forgive the French, but sitting in my own pile of shit and then learning that when you sit and turn toward that which frightens you long enough or might stink to high heaven because you'll see parts of you that are not particularly pleasant, you also will come to not only embrace it, but you'll also realize that with time, it'll dry up in the sun, it'll blow away in the wind, and it'll wash away in the rain. And you eventually can realize that, oh, but I'm still present or whatever this presence is that is me that's having this experience. There's a, a brilliant philosopher. He's a cultural anthropologist and also a, a, and he's gone also, he's a French guy, but he wrote that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. For whatever reason that catches to me um, as close to the idea of the cross, it is the horizontal and the vertical of what that is and that the intersection of that is our heart. Our heart is the first organ that get, gets created when we are conceived. It's the first actual cell that separates into four chambers that become our heart. And there's something in that about kind of our embodied enlightenment and that the body, just like you said, our family is part of our journey. Our body is, is, is this, this, temple, this vessel, this, this sacred package we've been given within which to make this journey. And we're not meant to transcend it completely. I don't believe, I think we're meant to anchor heaven here on earth. And if that shows up in mindfulness, if it shows up in, you know, the way I've built a business where I've got people like you who trust my deep intuition around marketing, uh, the fact that before I sit down and write out a marketing document, I meditate, and, and yet, because I also probably 
know the neuroscience and talk about the fact that we have 70,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them are repetitive. So no wonder, you know, what do you think you need a mindfulness practice for? It's because you've got 70,000 thoughts riding around in your head. You brush your teeth every day not to have plaque. Why wouldn't you sit for five minutes every day not to let those 70,000 thoughts only give you the 80% of repetition that you carry around every day? When you offer yourself the space and the practice of mindfulness, you can access that other 20%, which includes creativity and new thought. And you get the chance to come up with something that's not the same old, same old that was there already. And I think that's also even a part of pushing through fear is the idea of, wow, if I have something that does come through that's really bold, how do I have the courage to do it? It may not be a life-threatening experience. It may not be the death of a parent or a loved one. It might be that you know, you are a lawyer and you're being called to go do something completely out of that field and it feels so antithetical to you, trust that urge because that urge is the life force that lives within and it's calling you not for you to be afraid of it, but for you to jump in and ride the wave. And a lot of us are stuck in the box of what is the normal, the 2.7 uh, kids, the house with the white picket fence, the I used to say station wagon, but now it's Mercedes-Benz or Range Rover that we drive the kids <laughs> to school in. Um, and, and we don't want to you know, break that mold. And I think that we as people who live here, one thing I've come to conclude, and it may not be everyone's beliefs, but I think we all incarnate more than once. And I feel it just because when I lived in Spain, it felt like I'd been there and it was old and ancient and it felt very known to me and there's no explanation for it. But I do believe that those of us who are here at this time, right now on this planet, whether we are in the workaday business world, whether we are raising families, whether we are creating communities and nonprofits, we asked to be here. And we're here because humanity is going through what you said, a waking up moment. And we have a chance to wake up and pay attention and be part of something that when our children and our children's children, or as the indigenous native tribes would say, the seven generations to come, look back on are going to say, who and how did people show up in this time, in this pivotal moment, when we have a chance to evolve humanity or devolve into the darker fear that is right now happening to occupy most of the news media. And yet there is amazing stuff coming through. You know, there are people finding ways to connect like Richard Branson's put together something called The Elders, where he actually had, before Nelson Mandela passed away, and Jimmy Carter and uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, people who are our wise ones, all gathering, people from not the same walks of life, and having conversations about what do we do at the macro level of how we move humanity forward. And then you've got companies like Patagonia, who when they got the tax refund from Donald Trump's choice of offering the corporate break, took that $10 million and donated it to the 1% for the Planet Fund, which is helping make certain that we retain and sustain the natural spaces like our natural parks. They are a corporation that is using not only their profit, but their position for good. Corporations are becoming like an individual who has a sense of moral and conscious ethics. We're living in a fascinating time that that kind of work is unfolding, and we have a choice how we want to show up and engage that way. 
No, I, I, I don't even know how to comment on all this. I'm sorry. I just, I know. I, no. I it off, so. The, no, not at all. This was, this is why I knew you would be a perfect guest. I mean, it's just, uh, I probably need three or four episodes with you because it's just, <laughs> I mean, I'm learning. I'm like in a private coaching session, which by the way, uh, you know, anybody listening, she is a coach. And if you want to learn mindfulness and, 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 get better with your life I definitely you know contact Suzanne and and listen to her shows because it's it's amazing so um Suzanne the one last question I mean I don't yeah. know if um if asking you what makes you tick I mean obviously mindfulness makes you tick is there anything else that either you have on a bucket list or anything in particular that when you think about it or connect to it you you say okay this is it like when you feel lost I'm sure meditation is probably your go-to tool or you have something else that you use or a place or share with us. What is that you do? It, it's so interesting that your, your just beautiful queries of me today brought me back to this point of circles where I didn't know I had some of this already in me before I got to this place of, you know, knowing that there's a practice and a thing called mindfulness and, and it's, you know, from ancient wisdom there was something when I was young, I used to say to my mom all the time, and it was this, I'd say, mom, the day my curiosity dries up will be the day I'm meant to leave this planet. Mm. Wow. Little did I know that that's a tenant and a, a tool, probably the most effective tool of mindful practice of, okay, I'm pissed off right now, or I'm really scared right now. Get curious. That's what I do. I get curious. I go, okay, what does that feel like? Where in my body am I feeling it? Have I felt this way before? What does this remind me of? Do I know anything that I'm capable of doing that is, if this is particularly unpleasant, that will help me ride this wave? Like the three-day migraine that, you know, escorted me into the hospital that our dear beloved Camille brought me into the ER with, you know, she, she merits, um, a huge, uh, 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 call out of honor for walking that with me. So if there's anything that makes me tick is that what other people might see immediately as horrible, horrifying, frightening, awful, scary, destructive, the first thing I do is get curious. And I look at it, and I'm going to even mention it in the case of what's happening and particularly the representation we have in our country right now, and this will probably freak people out when I say this. I am glad this happened, not because I vote for this, voted for this individual. I'm glad it happened because had the opposite option taken place, we would have gone back to sleep. We would have put ourselves in a, put your left hand over your right shoulder and pat yourself and say, all right, we've already had an African-American for uh, two uh, terms of presidency. We've now got a woman. Um, God, aren't we so evolved? Boy, we're so, you know, with it. Look at how progressive this country is. And what really needed to happen was that what was under the dark belly of revelation that needed to come forward about what has not been healed in this country needed to make its way to the light. So as comfortable, uncomfortable and awful and even deaths that have occurred because people have gotten run over in, you know, riots around race and other things, I'm not minimizing any of the real impacts. I believe that our collective conscious experience as a country is also a soul collection 
journey we're on and that what's our opportunity is, is to get curious about it and then ask probably the next things I do, which are the four tenets I live by. What in this am I supposed to learn? Through this, am I supposed to grow? What here is for me to heal? And is there anything in here I'm supposed to teach? Wow, that's uh, definitely, you know, uh, great wisdom you're passing through the get curious. I love it. I think that's that's uh, my own motivation too. And this uh, podcast is, is a living testament that I'm like, when I get curious, I just have to do it and, and experiment and see how it goes. And, uh, you know, it's something that is giving us an opportunity to to give a voice. Like, I know you have 200,000 followers on your show, but for whatever little audience I bring and, and I get familiar with you and what you're doing, I, I feel happy that there's other people that are going to listen to this and are going to listen how amazing you are and hopefully are going to start in the mindfulness practice and uh, follow everything you're doing. And to close, you know, I want to take with me something I read and I'm going to steal it because it says somewhere that you have a motto and so I'm stealing it because I love it. And you say that your motto is daring greatly, failing mindfully, and pivoting quickly. Yes. So brilliant. Thank you. And, and, and that, that, that's, I will say that quote to the first daring greatly, which is, is Brene Brown. And it also comes from Roosevelt's speech about the person who's in the arena. It is the person who's in the arena that's daring greatly. And I just so appreciate from the bottom of my heart, Letitia, our connection and this opportunity to share with you, it, it means the world to me. No, thank you, Suzanne. Thanks for sharing with me and with everybody listening um, all that great wisdom you have. And I wish you the best. I know you, you're you on to, to do great things. You're now part of the UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center Awareness Training Institute, where you're doing a two-year mindfulness meditation training certification program, which is amazing, led, mm. led by Buddhist psychology practitioners. I mean, I know we've been hearing much more from you and I'm happy I'm your friend already <laughs> because you're gonna go very far somewhere and I'm so appreciative and I just want to throw out I have no idea what date we'll hit on this and you can edit it if it doesn't work but I am doing um, a free talk by the way at the CIC the Cambridge Innovation Center on Thursday January 31st it's at an event called Venture Cafe it's 6 30 and it's a one-hour talk on how to be a mindful entrepreneur Perfect. Then definitely we will make sure that our audience knows and I will be trying to be there. That would be awesome. And I'm really encouraged that you followed that nudge you had inside, Letitia, because you've also got something really important sitting in the position in the industry that you're in with the skill set, with the bilingual leadership uh, capacities that you have. Um, keep up what you're doing. You are just getting started and I can't wait to see how you just get out there and start to shine. Well, thank you, Suzanne. That's because I have friends like you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It was wonderful. Thanks. Bye. And until the next time. Mm -hmm.